0: But I'd ask that you uh, be praying over the next week or two for the leadership team as we discern a decision. Um, we, have, uh, we have struggled with the, the, the owners of this building for a while. Um, We've been going for, on for about, a, this is maybe more behind the scenes than you need to know, but for about a year, we've been trying to get a lease on the building, and we, we've been asking for an extended lease so we could invest some money and actually fix this place up, because right now, we're just month to month, um, and we literally could get kicked out next week. Um, we've been told we won't, but we've been asking and neg- trying to get a lease since November of last year. and so. Th- About two blocks from this location, a beautiful theater has come available to us, Um, and and so we're just discerning. We love this space. Um, We love the neighborhood. We don't want to leave the neighborhood, but we're just discerning because of some safety concerns and some things um, whether we stay in this building. So anyway, if you could just be praying for our leadership team um, over the next couple weeks as we discern what to do and the right thing to do, there are times that I just, I desperately need clarity and peace, and our leadership team needs that same clarity and peace, and we're just a bit... We don't have that quite yet, um, although the people who are here this Sunday that the um, termites exploded out of the walls, they have a bit more clarity. Um, so if you weren't here, there's like a few weeks ago, oh, I mean, it's been a few months ago now, um, I'm doing, I should not tell you this, I am, I am, I am, pre, I am mid-communion and there, things are falling on the communion bread. I should not tell you this and it was dead termites. Um, they literally, they all came out during the middle of service. They covered the floor to where you could not see the carpet. Um, so it turns out that termites come out every year or two to die. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is the second time this has happened. Um, it, the first time happened when we first moved in the building. Um, Jessica Breslin and a couple of team members were here. Uh, this is almost two years ago, two and a half years ago, three years ago now. And um, the same thing happened, and she texted me. I was at the other location preaching, and I didn't believe her. And I said, you're making it up. And then when I, I mean, the wall was black. Anyway, we have pictures if you think I'm making it up. So, and, and the, the building owners really just don't, they, they haven't invested in, they didn't want to invest in termites and re- remediation and all kinds of other things. And so for a number of reasons, we are, we are praying about what God will have us do. But the people in the term- who experience the termites, they, they do not need your prayer, just uh, those, the rest of us. Um, I mean, they need your prayer for like healing from that traumatic experience. I still remember, I, this is, I, I just need to know when to stop. But I like, a bug was on the, the communion bread and I went to flick it and it just wouldn't move because it was a dead termite. So gross. Some of you and Jess, anyway, no, never mind, let's keep going. So we're in the middle of a new series called Blank Slate. This is our third week. Jess is just shaking her head, and she's like, know when to stop. Okay, anyway, we're in the middle of a series called Blank Slate. And the idea is, what if we um, restarted our faith from the ground floor? What if we'd never heard um, about Jesus? What if we'd never thought about faith before? Now, most of us, whether we realize it, whether it's conscious or unconscious, most of us begin to formulate some sort of faith framework, either as children or as, um, as young adults. And our faith framework went something like this, God is good, God is loving, God answers prayers, and then and God heals. And then life happens, and life begins to poke some serious holes into some of those beliefs that you had. Because you pray that your friend is healed and your friend isn't, doesn't get healed or your family member, your grandmother. And, and so then we, as we're thinking about a place to begin our faith, the question that we kind of started with is, well, where do we begin that? Like, where do we start? And a lot of people say, well, the place you start is with the Bible, right? The Bible says. And then the, the problem is, and I said this last week, is, yeah, but you know what else the Bible says? And then you can just kind of go through a litany. There's some disturbing things in the Bible. And so we said, that can't be the starting point. That can't be the place you begin. The beginning of our faith has to be with a question. And that question is, who is Jesus? And then last week, we talked about this idea that many of us want to think of ourselves as people who just make mistakes, but the problem is we make the same mistake over and over. And some of us, our mistakes are premeditated. And what is that? What is a premeditated mistake? And we said, Jesus, the word that Jesus uses is sin. But Jesus never talks about sin In the context of condemnation, Jesus always talks about sin as restoration or redemption. And and the arc of the the beginning of Scripture, the arc goes something like this. In the beginning, God created a good and beautiful world where there was peace and harmony between God and the created order. There was peace and harmony between the creation, between both the, the land and between each other. And then, and then what ends up happening is there is a disruption. There is a, there's a rap, rupturing of that peace. Um, and sin and brokenness enters into the created order. And, and Jesus comes and says, I want to restore and redeem and help to recover the image of God within each and every one of us. I want you to become who you were fully created to be. But this week, what I want to do is I want to go back to, um, to a moment in time. Actually, it is the moment in time that all of the major faith traditions kind of agree on. Um, all the faith, major faith traditions, like what 90% of the, the globe believes or would kind of be adherence to, um, would be Christianity, Islam, and then Judaism, and there's a ton of others, but those are like the, the big three. And, and all three of those religions believe that there is one God, and that one God created the heavens and the earth, and they also believe that, that sin disrupted that good creation. Now, there's, there's all kinds of nuance in there, but they all kind of believe that. But the other thing, and this is really fascinating, the other thing that they all agree on, where they all converge, it's also the place where they all separate, but the place where they all converge is on a man by the name of Abraham. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism all believe that like Abraham is the place where God begins to, begins to redeem and restore the brokenness that we find in Genesis, or the first part of Genesis. Now, they all eventually go in very different directions from Abraham. But Abraham is the one place where everyone converges, and he's also the place where everyone separates. And so as we're thinking about restarting our faith, I, I think we need to look at the story of Abraham, and in particular, I want to look at an episode in the life of Abraham, because there is, this, there is, a, there is a, uh, a situation that Abraham has that, that touches on one of the deepest tensions that many of us feel, and I think it actually gives us some clarity as we think about Moving forward. And the tension is essentially this. If, if there is a God, and some of us are still trying to figure that out. We're not sure. But most of us, in the back of our heads, there is at least a question. And the, and the tension is this. If there is a God, then how am I doing? That's why you keep showing up the church, some of you. Right? Because it's like, just in case. It's the thing that some of us are obsessed with. Because your entire life, you've been made to feel as if somehow you do not match up. There is a God, and that God has a standard, and you have failed. And so some of you, depending on your tradition, that has like been the question that's haunted you your entire life. If there is a God, how am I doing? And then, how do I know how I'm doing? Right? Maybe I'm okay maybe I'm not. Maybe I've completely missed it. So that's what I want to look at today. But before then, I want to tell you a story. Um, so I have a two-year-old daughter by the name of Eloise. Eloise is an amazing kid, but she also finds her way into mischief all the time. And um, she has learned that she can drag our, our, our chairs from our breakfast nook over to our countertop, and anything that is on the counter is fair game for her. So the other day, I'm working. I'm working in the living room. I didn't even realize that Eloise is in the kitchen, and um, I think Charlo is upstairs. I'm working away, and all of a sudden, I hear what sounds like an explosion of glass. Just like, boom. maybe not like that, but it was loud. And then silence. And then just ah! And I jump up, and I run into the kitchen, and Eloise has pulled a giant bowl or something, glass bowl, off the countertop, and it just shattered all on our kitchen floor. And Eloise is standing there, screaming, surrounded by glass. And so you know what I did? I was like, Eloise, you've really made a mess. You need to clean this up. I'm going back to work. (laughs) Clearly, no, I, I like, I, I, like, luckily had my shoes on. I wade through. I pick her up. I'm like, it's okay, honey. It's okay. Accidents happen. I love you, dear. And then I began to, I hate cleaning up glass. It happens every, all too often in our house. But anyway, so I began to clean up the glass. But it, it, no, none of you believe I would have just kind of left Eloise there to fend for herself. But the crazy thing is, is that some of us kind of have that view of God, that we have made a, a giant mess of things, that we are surrounded in a sea of glass, and God just looks at us and is like, well, you really screwed that one up. Good luck. But we believe that God doesn't just leave us there. And if we think that our world is bad, you cannot even begin to imagine how evil the ancient world was. Slavery was commonplace. The rich and the powerful overran everyone. If you wanted something and you were rich and you were powerful, you just took it. And if somebody wronged you, I mean, you didn't just sue them in court. You killed them, slaughtered them, and like their entire tribe. It was an incredibly bloody time. And it's in that world that God sees that sin and destruction have overrun humanity. That humans are literally destroying themselves and the creation. In all three of the traditions the major faith traditions believe that God wades into the mess and begins the process of doing something new in the world through a guy by the name of Abraham. Somewhere around 1876 B.C., God chooses a man by the name of Abraham and he begins taking steps to fixing the mess of the world. Now, the thing is, Abraham is a ridiculously flawed and messed up individual. In fact, if you want a hero, biblical stories are not where you should find your heroes. Because for whatever reason, and if I was a biblical writer, I would have made sure that they did not write my story truthfully. I would want it, like, sanitized. But for whatever reason, these these stories are really open and honest about the brokenness and the flaws of the people that we read about. Abraham was a screw-up. I mean, Abraham on multiple occasions lies about his wife being his wife to protect himself so that the king doesn't kill him. Right? Like the king kind of was into his wife and he's like, oh, it's my wife? No, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Yeah, whatever, I don't care. Now, what kind of guy is that? <laughs> Abraham, is, Abraham is a deeply flawed individual. He has all kinds of problems. But yet, there's something unique about him. The story of Abraham begins this way in in Genesis chapter 12 beginning with verse 1. So Genesis 1 through 11, we read about the creation, the good, the beauty of our world. And then we read about the disintegration of it all. And it ends essentially in the story of the Tower of Babel, where humans think that they can become like God, they can reach God. And then what happens? It is all confused and chaos overruns the world. Genesis 12-1 begins this way. Then the Lord said to Abram, like this is, how it be- this is how this story begins. This is like the opening lines. Everything's messed up. And then we read 12.1. Then the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. So God shows up to this dude named Abraham. And he's like, hey dude, Abraham, here's the thing. I want you to leave everything. I want you to leave your security. I want you to leave your inheritance. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave the life that you have known. And I want you to go on a journey. And Abraham, and and, I mean, if it had been me, I'd been like, okay, so what's the plan? God's like, I'll show you later. Just do it. And then God, what He, what God does, He said, I want you to leave everything behind, and I want you to take your aging wife, and all these other people, and kind of your your tribe, your clan, your close family, and I want you to set out, and I'm going to make you three promises. And the first promise I make you, Abraham, is this: is that I will make you and your descendants a great nation. Now, this comes true. I mean, uh, Jewish people would say that it would be you know Israel would be that. Yeah, Islam would disagree, but but they would say you know it's the Arab nations that were kind of the, the descendants of this promise. But he says I will make you a great nation. <laughs> and then the second promise is he said I will bless you and I will make your name great. Now, has anyone heard of Cheddar Omar? Nobody. See, at the time of Abraham, he was the most famous king in the world but no one even knows who he is today. But yet, we all know who Abraham is. God says, I will make your name great. Number three, that through you, Abraham, and through you, your, your descendants, all the people groups, all the people on earth will be blessed. All the people that Islam has touched, all the people that Judaism has touched, all the people that Christianity has touched, all the good that has come through those traditions have been blessed through Abraham. In blessing, this is, this is kind of de- de- uh, departing from where we want to go today, but blessing becomes a key theme in the narratives that follow. In Genesis, blessing is used 88 times, often with indirect references. It shapes the life of, or it shapes this narrative in some powerful ways. But blessing stands as a gift of God. It's a gift of God. And he says, I will bless the whole world through you. And all the faith traditions, major faith traditions say, Abraham is ours. I grew up singing the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Anybody else? No, there's like hand motions and all kinds. Father Abraham had many sons. Anyway, I don't know about daughters. Um, Abraham, but then, but here's the problem. So that's the promise. Dude, you're going to be great. All the nations are going to be blessed through you. Set out. Leave everything. So he does. And then he gets super old. Like super old. And his wife gets super old. And the thing is, if you are going to have descendants, you need an offspring. You need children. But there is, there is something called the biological clock. And eventually that clock stops ticking. And so Abraham and his wife, they have crossed over to where that clock has has gone silent. And um, they actually, at one point, they decide to short-circuit God's plan. Remember I said Abraham's a very conflicted individual, and so he ends up having um, having a kid by one of his servants because he had begun to think, you know what, this is never going to come true. But God was not yet done with Abraham. But he's getting older, and he doesn't have any kids. Nobody knows who he is. He is just out by himself in the middle of the desert. And this seems like the most ridiculous thing in the world. You're going to be great. All the nations are going to know who you are. Everyone in the world is going to be blessed. And is Abraham in the middle of a desert. Nobody knows him. And then the word of the Lord came to him in in Genesis 15, verse 4 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to him and, and said this, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Abraham, don't you worry. I made a promise, and I will fulfill that promise. And then he says this, Here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to get up, and I want you to go outside into the desert sky. There's no light pollution. There is no street lights. It's dead of night, and and, Abraham, and and God says to Abraham, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look up, Now, I want you to count the stars and the sky. And Abraham's like, uh, yeah, that's, that's impossible, God. And he said, that is how many descendants you are going to have. And he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then, and then he makes this, then there's this phrase. We get this phrase where all the kind of traditions kind of separate. And this is before, this, this, God says this phrase to Abram, before Islam, before Christianity, before there's 10 commandments, before there's been the, the time in the desert, you know, the, the trek in the desert, the 40 years leading up um, after they leave Egypt. This is before everything. In Genesis 15, verse 6, God says, or the passage says, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that's a fascinating phrase. And actually, the word credited that gets translated, this is the NIV, um, the word credited that gets translated there is often translated as reckoned. Um, and and the, 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 the Hebrew word that's used, it's the same word or similar word um, to when a priest would declare that a gift was acceptable and someone had been made right with God. And in this, in this narrative, God functions as a priest and says, Abra- or Abraham, it is through your belief that you are made right with me. He has no kids the odds are not looking good that the promises are ever going to come true but in that moment God credited his faith to him as rightness as righteousness he said I am giving you a right relationship with me and in this in this story trusting God resulted in right standing this is where all the traditions kind of go their own way. Judaism would say the way that we are, are in right relationship or that we are good with, like, it's about lineage. It's being born into the lineage of Abraham. Islam would say there's all these rules that you need to do, these things you, these, these things you need to kind of follow. Christianity would say, well, we would say like a million things, which, to be fair, so would all the other traditions. But, but we keep splitting over and over and over around these things. Like, how are we right with God but when you boil it all down, the beginning place, the bottom rung, the place you start is trust. It's trust. And it's almost, it's impo- it is almost impossible to believe or to comprehend that God would make the place we begin so simple. It must be more complicated. There must be some hoop that I need to jump through. We've all created our own mess. We are all haunted by our brokenness. And God says, if you want to be restored, if you want to be redeemed, if you want to begin a journey towards wholeness, towards restoration... The bottom rung, the place you begin that journey, it's trust. He said, look, Abraham, I I know this is crazy. I know what I'm asking you to do is, is bonkers. I know you have no kids. You are in the middle of the desert. But Abraham, I'm telling you, I can be trusted. And I will keep my promise. And so here's what I, wanna, what I kinda wanna talk to you about this morning, the question I wanna ask you. As you're considering restarting your faith, what if like, just the, the place you launched it was trust? The, the problem is, the problem is, as we have all these questions and all these what ifs, what about, what if, you know, I don't understand this, that, and the other, and we have all these things that are kind of wandering around in our heads. And those are all valid. But what if at the beginning, the place you like started it at was like, God, I'm going just, just, to just be straight with you. I don't know that I believe this. I'm not sure I believe in you. I'm not sure I believe this book about you. I've got all these problems. I, I still am really angry with you that you let my grandmother die. Or that I prayed so hard for that job and it didn't work out. Right? You, you've got all this. You're like, God, I, I'm just, I need to be straight with you. Like, I don't think that, the, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do with all that. But, but I'm going to trust that you are who you said you are and that you will do what you said you will do. And in spite of my doubt, and in spite of my questions, and in spite of my fear, I'm going to take a leap of faith into the dark and I'm going to begin a journey towards restoration and towards wholeness. And everything we've been told our whole life about being in right standing with God, sometimes explicitly and sometimes implicitly, is that we are in right relationship with God by by earning it by doing the right things, by saying the right things, by jumping through the right hoops. But Scripture makes clear that the bottom rung, the place we begin, all the way back to Abraham, that the place we begin is not through performing right actions, getting it all figured out. It's through taking a leap of faith in the dark and saying, God, in spite of my doubt, in spite of my questions, in spite of my anger, I trust you because at the end of the day, that's the only place we can begin because I, I, I've got bad news for those of you who've got like super analytical, linear minds. You're never going to figure it all out. You're never going to answer every question you have. You just aren't. And the second you think you did, something else will hit you from left field. The place you have to begin is to say, I am believing that you are who you said you are. And more than that, to say, I am placing my faith and my hope and my trust and my future in this story that we are presented with. A story that says, I am not a broke I was not created as a broken person that I was made in the image of God and that you want the best things for me and that you want to restore me and redeem me and see me be a person of peace and love and joy and kindness and gentleness and justice and I want to begin that journey on that process of restoration and redemption I don't got it figured out I don't have it all the questions but I want to start there Before any of the world's religions existed, God revealed to Abraham a new place to begin. The first step, the bottom rung. And he says, look, I'm going to trust, in spite of all the evidence, I'm going to trust that you will do what you said you would do. And I'm going to take a leap of faith into the dark. And so here's the question I want to leave you with today. What if the beginning point... For your relationship with God is simply trust. It's simply trust. And this is hard because of all the things, all the messages that we've been taught. There's no place where we can be loved unconditionally, for like, we always feel that there's some condition placed in love. And God says, All I'm asking, the place you begin, we'll, we got a journey. We're going to figure all this stuff out as we go along, but you, can you start? with just trusting me. And as you hit your restart button, or maybe for some of you, as you start for the first time, as you're kind of thinking through, like, how am I right with God? Is it I'm born into the right family or to the right religion? Or is it I do the right things, I behave the right way, or I believe the right set of dogma? And God's like, no, it's not not your birth. It's not your behavior. It's not your belief. It's simply trust. It's taking a leap of faith into the dark. Now, next week, we're going, to pick up, um, we're going to pick up talking about Moses and the Ten Commandments and the role of rules. I love that. I love talking about that stuff. Um, but here's the question I want you to wrestle with as we leave today. Which of the following, and we still, our dinner parties haven't started yet, so grab a friend, grab someone after church, go eat um, lunch with somebody, journal about this. But which of the, the following best reflects your view? God accepts me based on my birth? God accepts me based on my behavior because I'm, I'm a goody two-shoe? God accepts me based on my belief? Or is it some combination of all those? So just think through that and, and then just kind of think about this question. What at the beginning's point was that you're going to take a leap of faith into the dark in spite of all your doubt, in spite of all your fears, in spite of all your what-ifs? You're going to say, God, I trust you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of Abraham. We thank you for the way that he models how an incredibly broken and messed up individual who, in spite of all the evidence and all the odds, in the middle of a desert underneath the night sky, says, I trust you. And we thank you that the bottom rung of of restarting our faith or beginning our faith journey is simply that is that we trust you in spite of everything, that we take a leap of faith into the dark. In Jesus' name, amen.